Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 33 of Lepi Duels. We're shaking up the format slightly. We've got three fantastic guests ahead of you guys, and uh, they'll each be answering their own question in a head-to-head duel, and then they'll all be going in a three-way duel twice to finish out the episode. So that'll be how things are different this week. Let's get rolling and meet that cast. Up first, the brand manager of Latitude 64, Mr. Seth Benley. Battling our... uh, in our second challenger spot, the brand manager at Great Lakes Disc, Brian Frawley. And rounding us out after joining us on his solo episode last week, DGA's Trevor Harbolt. Thanks for being here, all three of you guys. Excited to get this thing rolling. First question of the episode, Seth, you're taking on Brian. Seth, you will be leading us off. Uh, Devil's Grove Disc Golf in uh, in Maine raised over $26,000 to support victims of the shooting um, back in October. Awesome stuff from them. Uh, but what was the biggest takeaway in your mind from this whole uh, fundraising ordeal, Seth? Yeah, now that it's the holiday season, I, I think I'm going to just sort of take this straight up and say something pretty uh, mushy and that it was great to see the entire community come together around something. I think that something that stood out to me is that um, very early on in the process, um, Aaron Wilmot at Thought Space Athletics reached out to us at House of Disc and specifically uh, Latitude and said, hey, what can you you guys contribute? Here's everyone else who's already on board. And just knowing how many manufacturers were already on board very early on in the process um, and then to be able to come in and be on board and then look at that final list of everyone who contributed it wasn't just the industry but it was pretty much everyone that we've seen to to participate in disc golf and i think all of that coming together all the way down to like even ll bean is a pretty exciting thing to see people come together to support uh such a um a a sad occurrence around the holiday season brian yeah i think uh my biggest takeaway from this tragic event is uh, the support of the community, but also the like, instant awareness of, of more than just a disc golf event. It wasn't uh, the announcement of you know, a signing or the finishing of a large event uh, tournament or uh, a major or anything like that. It was a, it was a community and a group rallying uh, to get uh, something done for their community. And then it was exposed right away uh, through various social media links, uh, the local newspapers, uh, um, blogs, and it's been talked about on podcasts. And the things that are that are going to come out of that is more exposure to our pastime, our, friend, our, our fun thing that we do in the woods. Uh, so I think the media thing was my biggest takeaway of how, how much it ran with it, like wildfire. Okay, so obviously the 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 overarching theme here is that this the support for after a tragic event like this is fantastic, um, but you guys did take a different spin on the question here, um, so differentiate differentiate yourselves in that regard. And Seth, tell me why you deserve to win the duel here. Top us off. Yeah, so I think the thing that's really interesting about this is that especially if you know the area of Maine, um, they they pretty are they're very self-sufficient. They want to keep to themselves. They want to do things for themselves. So to see even a a main company like ThoughtSpace sort of reach out to other manufacturers and say, hey, how can you help contribute? And them not just put their name on it, I think was a really big deal to me. Um, More importantly, I think that with anything like this, um, to Brian's point, the media is going to follow. 
But for me, what really stood out was the amount of companies that got on board um, and got on board without really any conflict or concern about how it would look that they're all working together. Well said, Brian. Yeah, I think to Seth's point, it definitely was was wonderful. Everything was very good from the manufacturers, but we we have smaller stories like that every month, and especially in, in the great state of Michigan, we have Disc Golf for a Cause, who does everything from adopt uh, a family at the Christmas time to help out families of uh, past disc golfers. Uh, so they're, we're not afraid to asking manufacturers for help here, but you don't hear about those types of stories, even though they're donating you know hundreds and thousands of dollars a month. We heard about this one because of what it was attached to the tragedy and how fast uh, it got out there. And I, I think that it was really important for us as a movement to notice how fast this went out and how we can use media to spread it even more the next time something like this happens. I love both the takes there. Um, again, shout out to Devil's Grove Disc Golf for, for spearheading this whole thing. Um, I think the key point to separate your guys' arguments is the self-sufficiency aspect talking about Maine. I'm gra- I'm glad Seth brought that up. I think that's important to hammer home. They could have just kept this local thought space could have just run the thing with their name. I love that you said that Seth, you're going to take the point here to lead us off. All right, Brian and Trevor, you guys are up next. The open at Austin is returning to Harvey Pennick for the disc golf pro tour that just got announced uh, a few days back. So, that particular tournament had several um, negative reaction in, in 2023. So in your guys' mind, what needs to change in 2024 for this event and this course to be a success, Brian? Yeah, so it's a great question. And uh, unlike Trevor, who doesn't remember anything negative about it, I do remember a lot of negative things about it, especially because it was so early in the season. Uh, the first negative thing, that, that we noticed is just how it didn't look great on coverage. It wasn't pleasing to the eye. Um, the odd OB lines, the spray painted circles, uh, the bunkers versus that are safe versus not safe. It didn't, it wasn't visually appealing. And to give you a reference from a factual standpoint, how we know it wasn't visually appealing is because we saw uh, a Jomez uh, recaps, round one, round two, round two, continuously go lower. And then also more importantly, we saw that that was early in the season in March. And you look at some of the later events at Maple Hill, they already have doubled them up uh, as far as uh, rounds watched and views. So it just wasn't pleasing to the eye. And I hope the thing that they change is better camera shots and less paint on the course. All right, Trevor. I like how you tried to just call me out right there, right? Like you just completely tried to call me out. Like I don't remember anything. But I'm glad you got to go first because I remember my – biggest complaint about that course was how ugly it looked on film i do remember that distinctly because the flyovers it just looked brown it looked like a desert it really didn't look you know aesthetics aesthetically pleasing but i do remember some of the players being complaining about it and i did go on youtube while you guys were doing your thing and look up some comments so there were a bunch of holes there and i do remember that it was just not the typical kind of golf course that some of these players are used to. And I think the players hated it more than the fans hated it um, just because it's not the, the typical type of golf. It's not throw as hard as you can. It's manipulating your disc. It's using speeds of your disc. It's it's using angle control. And a lot of people just want to throw over top and um, get over those small trees in Texas. So there's so many reasons why they probably should change things there. But really, I think they just need to add a bunch of mando so the players can't throw over top. <laughs> 
All right, add Mandos and uh, make it more aesthetically pleasing and add some paint. So we've got some different takes here. Brian, double down on yours. Yeah, from the viewership standpoint, it, especially let's look at hole one in my short rebuttal. Hole one uh, was a par three. It only had seven birdies in round hole one and played way over par. That's not a great start of things to watch from a coverage standpoint. I think you pull uh, the tee pad back, push the uh, basket back, and make it a short par four to start with those two tight OBs on the left and the right. I think that would be a better view to start. Trevor, bring it home. I mean, we have DDO has the whole one where you just either get it on the green or take a four, no matter what. So I, that that argument really doesn't matter to me. I think what it needs to happen is they need to make it a little bit harder so the players can complain just a little bit more. Because disc golf isn't just about throwing as hard as you can and hitting putts. It's actually about throwing the disc through woods, manipulating your disc, and uh, using the speed control of your disc. I think they really don't need to change much besides making it look a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. And I do agree with Brian on all of that because it was an ugly thing to look at. All right, Trevor, I'm getting nitpicky. To, I, I'm giving you, I'm giving you um, a knock here because you said they needed to change some things and add some mandos, and then your rebuttal, you didn't even talk about the mandos. Um, so I can't give I you a win here, well, although I do. I say? <laughs> Although I do think the Mando point was a good one, and if you had doubled down on it, you may have won. But uh, Brian's going to take it uh, purely on organization of argument, I think. Uh, sends us to duel number three. Trevor, you're back up for some redemption here. Seth, you'll be second. Trevor, you're up first. How much stock are you taking in the Ulti, Ulti World fandom survey uh, as a player on the list or as a manufacturer on the list, Trevor? Uh. I guess I could look at that list and go, oh, that's cool, you know, but I can't really take a lot out of that because not everybody's voting on that. There's only so many people that actually voted, and I don't know if the players voted, if the manufacturers voted, how many fans voted, how many people voted. So I don't take too much stock into it, um, especially on the player side. I mean, I think everybody has their own awesomeness to what people enjoy. Um, I think everybody also has their own um, faults where people don't like. So I think I think personalities is what makes the disc golf game for these players anyway, uh, for the fans to enjoy. But I don't really take too much stock into it um, just because I personally just don't care. Fair enough. Seth, how much are you reading into this? Yeah, so I'm going to take a little bit of time to break down some of this since Trevor doesn't really understand it. So there were about three, there were just over 3,000 respondents. Um, this is what we refer to in survey design as a convenient sample. So these are all people from within inside the sport who opted into taking the survey. So that gives us a little bit of background on what it is, where it came from. For, as a sponsor, uh, the way that I sort of look at this, when I look at the fan the fandom responses on the nose. I mean, it gives us a good feel of where maybe the top five rank amongst each other. But outside of that, beyond that, it becomes sort of subjective. And so for me to find any value in it, I have to actually go to a second piece of the survey, which is in the manufacturer response, which tells you how fans feel about a certain player attached to the brand that they support. And when you take those two things, you're able to see as a sponsor who you might want to sponsor because a player is a good fit for your brand. And so that's where I'm finding value. 
I like it, Seth. Trevor, we're, everybody's taking shots at you this episode. You got some another oh, chance at redemption. What do you got? I just like I, – I understand what he's saying, but like I'm not a sponsor. I'm a player. So like when I look at that list, it just doesn't mean anything to me, right? Like I don't go out and say, oh, well, number one person on that list is Calvin Heinberg. I need to go sign him to my company. I don't have a company. So they don't really make any – All it look when I look at that, it's just a popularity contest for me which is fine and dandy. I think every sport has those people who are popular and those people who people don't like. Um, so I just don't take much stock into it because it's not really anything that has to do with me or my game of disc golf. So, um, but I do understand what he's saying. I do get it because uh, the more personable liking people, um, the more social media followers they get. And it just, it makes sense. I just don't have an argument for it because it just doesn't affect me anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. Well said, Trevor. Seth, bring it home. Yeah. So as a manufacturer or a sponsor, obviously I laid out some of the reasons why it's really important to us, or I shouldn't even say really important, but it's at least useful for us. Uh, I think from a player standpoint, the one thing that it does uh, show a player is whether or not if they want to, I think to Trevor's point, they want to improve their likability or like create more fans or really see where the fans see them in light of how they see themselves. And so I do think that while it might be a smaller sample than what we would like, it is useful for a few different aspects. So Seth is taking some stock in this. Trevor says, I'm not taking stock in it at all. And although Seth's argument was more drawn out um, and and logic-based based on the statistics and the numbers in front of us, Trevor, I think your point is very valid, but I can't give you the win. Seth's going to take this one. Um, sends us to number four. Everybody's still in this too. because <laughs> I did. I've taken two shots at you this episode, Trevor. Um <laughs> We're on, we're on duel number four. Uh, everybody's still in it because we got a three-way duel coming up, our first one of the episodes. So what is the most shocking ranking on this Ulti World uh, fandom score for professional survey? Brian, you're up first, then Trevor, then Seth. All right. So this was uh, by far my favorite question of the episode. Good job, Jacob. Uh, the most shocking thing on this to me is a name that I can't quantify. Um, not because they're not awesome and they're not cool, um, but uh, I can't quantify based on uh, score, performance, uh, social media savviness, uh, disc sales. None of these things make me quantify Sayananda uh, in the top 10. Uh, it blows my mind. Again, I'm not saying I'm not a fan of her. I think it's really cool. She plays well. Uh, but from like a mathematical standpoint, she's only in the top 10 of one of the FPO disc stats. Um, she does not have uh, multiple signature discs. There's not a ton of sales, at least coming through my store personally. Um, and her social media posts, while quirky and fun, uh, they aren't um, as frequent or as often or as engaging as others are. Those are just facts. So for me to see her at 10 only is, is shocking to me about how much she is loved by everyone. What an astronomically huge fan amount of appreciation for uh, Sayonara based on all those lack of the three first things. So that was shocking to me. Trevor, what's your take here? I just said, for what Brian just said, I just said that it was a popularity contest. Sayonara is very popular. She has a lot of fans just because she's one of the sweetest human beings you could ever meet. So that's all I want to say on that. I have two surprises, actually. One is how low Ricky Wasaki is on there. I, I, he is fun. He, he's 
he's got a wonderful personality. He's he's out there doing things all the time. People love him. I, I was really surprised that he was way down the list. Um, I don't understand why that is. I mean, honestly, I do not understand why he's below Sayananda. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I thought Ricky was one of the most love people on the tour from everybody. So it just kind of threw me off there. And the second biggest surprise is that I'm not on that list. <laughs> All right, Seth, round this uh, first first part of this question out. Yeah, so I'm actually going to sort of follow through on what Trevor said, except take a few more bigger names. Um, for me, the most shocking thing is the names that are missing. And the reality here is that it's a flaw in the survey design where all they did was put a list of names, but they didn't actually have a requirement or expectation of where they were pulling those names from. So they missed uh, players like Alexis Mondahano, but had her sister. Um, they missed uh, Rebecca Cox on the men's side. They missed uh, Trevor. They missed uh, Jakob. Um, they missed Linus. They, they missed a lot of several like really highly rated players in their own countries um, that are out there on coverage. And I think to follow up on what the other two guys said, um, I think Ricky sort of they they covered this in a in a letter in a later section of the survey. Ricky suffered from not playing at the beginning of the season. We saw what um, wins did to people's likability, and I think that that also sort of gives us an answer as to why size where she is. All right, Brian, you're up first on the rebuttals. Yeah, Ricky uh, dropping uh, significantly from 2020. Uh, to 2023 isn't that shocking because of the data that was laid out um, early on in the art or later in the article that he didn't play early in the season. Um, but I also think that has a lot to do with something that we're not talking about. And that's uh, Ricky uh, isn't on the contract here. Ricky didn't switch and Ricky didn't win a major. Um, and those are all things that bring a lot of attention to him. Specifically, when he wins, he's great. Uh, when he signs contracts, it's great. There's helicopters. People are excited. Um, but there wasn't a lot of that this year. Uh, so uh, he, although he is engaging to a certain extent on Facebook, uh, he's not producing a ton of content like Simon Lazat, um, and he's not uh, the face of his company always. And we'll lead on to that some other time. Trevor? I just like how his rebuttal was another shot at me. Like, not even anything about Seth. It was just all about what I said that Ricky was talking. But that's fine. That's There's another big surprise for you. Or it, it isn't, actually. Another surprise that I have, and I'll just say this, is how far Corey Ellis is down. Um, he went in a big major, seeing his story, the story of the uh, you know drinking alcohol most of his life and giving it up, and all of a sudden his game just rising really big. That's something that surprises me. Maybe it's because I'm a friend of his. But really, I again, it, going back to the last question, I don't take too much stock into this too much, really. I just was surprised that Ricky was so far down the list because um, he's a really popular player. Um, but that's really all I got. I, I, I'm just, it has really no effect to me, really. I just don't know why I'm not on the list. <laughs> Seth? Okay, so I love batting cleanup here. Uh, so first off, Trevor brought in an argument that was like people aren't on the list, and then he didn't really reiterate it other than sort of just talking about how he doesn't understand the survey overall. Um, Brian brought in Cy and instead spent most of his rebuttal talking about Ricky. And so when we look at this overall as a whole, I think what's clear is the most shocking thing is the people who are missing and, um, and how they aren't um, being represented, which overall sort of shows some of the flaws in the survey. 
So, Seth, I love your point. I think that's an outside-the-box answer that uh, I necessarily wasn't expecting. Um, Brian, good take. Ricky's a good take from Trevor, although there is uh, data to back it up later in the article kind of explaining you know, the thought process beyond why he fell there. Um, I think it's important to note that in each of your rebuttals, you all talked about Ricky, um, and you showed some respect to Trevor there. And I think I'm going to lean toward Trevor on this one. Um, I think that uh, that's important to note. So Trevor's going to take the win here in duel number four, our final duel. Everybody's still alive. Seth's at two. Brian's at one. Trevor's at one. Final duel. Which manufacturer is getting the most unfair fandom rating as we continue to hammer home the Ulti World survey in this episode? Trevor, you are leading us off, then Seth, then Brian. Okay, first of all, I do understand the survey, Seth. I, I get it. I just don't think it matters. Because um, right here I have like a – it's like all the all the manufacturers are there, so I'm looking at it. And I can look at this right here and say that DGA, my sponsor, is the one that got kind of left out a little bit. And I think it's because nobody really knows their plastic. I think that um, you know they get a, a five rating for pretty much every single one. And that's just like in, in between zero and ten, it's just like I don't really know. I don't really throw their stuff. Mm, I'll just put a five down. I don't know any other plastic. I really think DGA kind of got the short end of the stick on this one. Um, but it could be me being biased, or I could just be looking at the charts and see it myself. So It might be a homer pick. We'll see what the other two have to say. Seth, you're up first. Yeah, so I figured Trevor was going to go for the homer pick. And so I went for another out-of-the-box answer. And I think uh, MVP, Axiom, and Streamline are actually getting the most unfair fandom rating. And I think it's for two reasons. The first is they're the only manufacturer to have all of their brands lumped together. Um, This is weird in the sense that, to Trevor's point, DGA is made by Discraft. Um, but you don't see the two of them together. You don't see any of the House of Disc brands lumped together. So I think that that lumping together sort of does a disservice to their brands. But on the other side of it, I think that they're getting a little bit of an over rating because of the Simon signature. And what that means for them down the road is that some of those high hopes that they might be carrying into next year might actually not be true if they don't have another like miracle signing to, to keep riding that wave. All right, Brian, round out the initial statements. Yeah, I think the question who's getting the most unfair is, is kind of a weird way of saying who's who's getting screwed here by bad data. Uh, and I think that we have to look at um, the Prodigy is getting the worst data from this event. Uh, and why I say that is because they have some very high-ranking players on the fandom survey, but when you cross-reference them later on in the manufacturer article about it, um, the player's um, attraction is giving their plastic a better score comparatively. Uh, but then when you look at like the sales, it does not equal the love of the player to the sales necessarily. So I think they're getting inaccurate data where you see this large attraction to their player, not necessarily their plastic. I hope they're taking that in stride when they're looking at off-season signing. All right, Trevor, you got to hear what the other two had to say. They're, they're both wrong. Like, let's be real. And when you look at the stats, it's it's like on the graphs. It's, DGA got the most unfair because nobody knows their plastic. Like, they know MVP. Like, they know Prodigy. Most people don't like Prodigy's plastic. It's not even about their players. 
Look how they treat their players. Look how they treat their – look how they make their plastic. Look at all the stuff that comes. That's probably why they got a bad rating. With the MVP over here by Seth and all that streamline and Axiom stuff, they have Simon Lazat on their team. Simple as that. And everybody loves that plastic. Everybody I talk to in Michigan or around the country, they love the MVP plastic. I don't understand it, but they do love it, and it's a good brand. And they might have a pretty big signing, miracle signing coming up this year. I've heard some stories here, but I still think that DGA got the unfair advantage on that because nobody really knows. They're the smallest company on that list. Not many people know their plastic, and I think they got the most unfair advantage on that. Because if you look at all the other stats that they come out with disc brands and stuff and how many discs they sell, DGA's never mentioned. So for them to be mentioned on this and not mentioned on many other things that uh, Ulti World comes out with, it's an unfair advantage if you ask me. Trevor dropping some unsourced hints. All right, Seth, you're up. Yeah, so I think the hard part here is that Trevor sort of missed both Brian and I's arguments. Brian's actually arguing that uh, Prodigy received the rating that it did because of its players and that it would actually be rated lower. Um, and I think what it shows is that from Brian and I's standpoint, really the highest and the lowest are the two ends of the spectrum that can get the most uh, screwed or unfair uh, rating. And so from my perspective, what I'm saying, we're and actually we're both making the same arguments that the players are what's making the change and not necessarily the plastic. And I think the one thing that differentiates me from him is that I also talked about the three brands in one, which is sort of an anomaly that we don't see uh, elsewhere in the survey. All right, Brian, round us out. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm going to have to like just say that the three brands in one isn't really like it isn't a great argument because it's not like they're who mold mint is on there or if they mold thought space or whatever they're they're not on there. They're just owned by the same company and produced in the same location and shipped in the same spot. So they're the same company. I don't, I don't care how you want to look at it. Um, and Trevor, whatever the smallest of anything is going to have a disadvantage. So if we put Gateway on this list, they would have a worse advantage over them uh, than DGA would. If we went to um, Daredevil, uh, it wouldn't work that way either. We have to focus on how skewed the positive data here is. People might be investing, people might be signing, people might be taking these numbers to uh, a, a contract or, or to work a contract, and the data might not be accurate. All right, I like all your arguments. Um, Trevor's already proclaiming himself the winner here, which is interesting. Um, Trevor, I do think that DGA has a disadvantage. I think you spelled that out uh, loud and clear, and I think that's a fair point. Um, but I think the winner of this duel has to be Brian based on what he, the information he provided. So uh, Brian's going to win the duel, sends us to a tiebreaker, Brian and Seth. Tiebreaker that we haven't had for several episodes. <laughs> and uh, that is, is sandbagging an issue at the amateur level? Brian, you're up first. Seth, you're up second. Yeah, it's nice to uh, for Jacob to get this tiebreaker between two AMs, too, so we can bring you raw from the field data. Uh, and let me tell you, as a uh, player that has played 192 PDGA events, I am rated 890-something, we'll say. And if I go and play AM3 and I win, uh, you can call me a sandbagger all day. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to say thank you. That's such a compliment. I appreciate it. And if I go up to AM2 and I win... Uh, someone will say move up to there too as well. So uh, no matter what happens when you're an AM and you win in any division, 
you're called a sandbagger. So is it an issue? No, it's just a poor choice of word. There's no such thing as sandbagging when you have 192 events done. Like, yeah, this is my rating. I relatively suck. Thanks for letting me have a hot day. It's not an issue. It's a poor choice of word. Poor choice of words. Better vocabulary, says Brian. Seth, you're up. Yeah, so it is fun um, to the point of us having uh, very similar, well, at one point ratings. Um, as a, someone who recently joined the Below 800 Club, um, I, I'm really struggling because I know that in theory I should play MA3, but I qualify for MA4 now. And uh, it would be a lot of fun to go down and be competitive, but I do want to avoid being called a sandbagger. And I think the reality is, is that sometimes your rating doesn't show that skill level that you might have. And so there are times when you need to move up. And so as much as I want to agree with Brian from a personal edification standpoint, I do think from an actual practical standpoint, there are some places where sandbagging is an issue. And um, if you know where you should play, you should be playing there and not trying to get wins. Seth says yes. Brian says no. Brian, you're up first on the rebuttal. Yeah, if you have a fundraiser tournament and there's just one division and it's general and Paul Macbeth shows up and wants to win and take home the trophy, that's sandbagging. Uh, the weekend warrior who pays $50 a year for a membership so he doesn't have to miss out on a B tier or an A tier uh, that misses opportunities to do other fun things, he's not sandbagging. He's going out and having a blast, maybe he's cracking a beer at halftime. That's not sandbagging, that's called having fun. Seth, round it out. I wanna tell the story of this beautiful trophy that I have right here. Brian mentioned a charity tournament and it made me think of a time where I came back after round one and was winning by 13 strokes. And I thought that I was winning by 13 strokes because I was under the impression that my card was the only card in my division. And I went immediately to, to the tournament director and I said, please, before you put the scorecards up, move me to MA2 because I cannot be beating this kid and uh, his parent by 13 strokes. It's just embarrassing. And uh, come to find out that there was two other people playing with some MA2 players that were in my division. And I ended up only winning that day by a few strokes and not 13. But the, re the moral of the story here is that I was so afraid of being called a sandbagger that during the lunch break, I went and asked to be moved in divisions because it was a charity tournament. It didn't matter. And I think that that's the sort of thing that we're wanting to avoid whenever we talk about sandbagging being an issue. All right. Two different takes here. Is sandbagging an issue? Seth says yes. Brian says no. Trevor, let's bring you in. One word answer. Yes or no? Yes. All right. I think that's going to help swing the scales in Seth's favor. Well done, Seth. Congratulations on the win. That one was a toss-up of a uh, tiebreaker question. I couldn't pick one, so Trevor did for me. Thank you, Trevor. Appreciate you. Seth, you've got the floor. What do you got for us? Yeah, so before I go into my spiel, I just want to say that we've had this as a tiebreaker for multiple weeks now, and until Brian went before me, always planned to say exactly what Brian said, but I had to go against him just for argument's sake. That being said, um, it's the holiday season. There's a lot of holiday sales going on. You should take advantage of them. 
But in the meantime, also just if you're ordering them online, be aware of what it means to be the holiday season. I'm also involved in a, a gift exchange uh, program right now inside disc golf. And the amount of people who are upset because they haven't received their package yet, when we know at this time of year, shipping delays are bound to happen. I think that it's just important for us to remember um, sort of the reason for the season, why we're getting the gifts that we're getting, why we're giving the gifts that we're giving, and to not get frustrated at the people who are in the middle of that having to work in the midst of it. And so uh, just as I started off the night by saying, you know, it's the giving season, I'm going to start off with something mushy. I'm going to end with something mushy and say, hey, you know, be respectful, be thankful for what you have out there and uh, keep in the giving spirit, not in the Scrooge or grumpy spirit. I love it, Seth. I think that's an important message that uh, that a lot of people need to hear. Um, thanks, all three of you guys, for being here this week. Seth, congrats on another win. Trevor, congrats on taking the, the punching bag that you became this episode from those two. They were just picking on you, and me included, a little bit. Um, we appreciate you there. Everybody at home, thanks for tuning in. Please like and subscribe. We are very, very close to 300 subs, so once we get there, we got a big giveaway. Let's get there this week. Other than that, have a great week and we will see you guys soon. Thanks for watching.